Hello, and welcome to Rescuing Churches with Stan and Josh Gibbons. This is the official podcast of 614 Ministries, where we exist to renew vision and restore hope at struggling churches across the country. With over 80% of churches in decline and 1,500 pastors a month battling depression, we strive to equip members and encourage ministers to pursue new directions of stability and growth. Yes, and welcome to Rescuing Churches, the official podcast of 614 Ministries. I'm your host, Josh Givens, and as always, I'm joined by 614 Ministries founder and executive director, my father, Stan Givens. All right, so today we're going to be dealing with a topic that I know is just so near and dear to the heart of the local pastor. And really, this isn't just a small church issue. It's not a small church pastor issue. This is in every church issue. It's in every pastor issue, the phenomenon of church babies. And uh, just to be clear, (laughs) we are not referring to the children in your nursery ministry. Correct. This episode is not about nursery care, although I'm sure at some point we could probably do an entire podcast episode on the trials and tribulations of the average nursery care worker. That's not what we're going to do here today. You wrote a blog post last February about a year ago now, and you kind of discussed this notion of baby Christians, particularly uh, baby Christian churchgoers, and you started by mentioning the first sermon that you ever preached. Tell me and our listeners a little bit about that first sermon. Where were you? What was that like for you? Uh, when I went to Bible college in uh, Birmingham at Southeastern, I left my home church, Northside Bible Church, where we currently sit doing the podcast, and I came home one on one of the breaks and the pastor here had asked me what I like to preach next time I was home. So the following time I returned home, I ended up in the pulpit at Northside, my very first sermon, big wooden pulpit. Uh, thank goodness, because my knees were literally trembling. I could literally, <laughs> my pants were waving. I was shaking so hard. The choir behind me, old school choir loft behind me, they were just hoping I didn't faint. But I preached a passage from... Uh, Corinthians that I had been, learned at college, um, at Bible college in our doctrine class. They had taught us about the classes of men, the four classes of men, uh, uh, unsaved man who has no spiritual input. And then the type of people that are saved out of first Corinthians. And there's the carnal Christian who lives like the world, but is truly saved, but still has a lot of worldliness in him. There's the spiritual man who discerns spiritual things. But then there was this, term called the baby Christian. And the baby Christian is somebody who's not mature yet. They're new in their faith. And I feel like the problem we have in our churches today, um, especially in America, we have a lot of very old baby Christians. Robert Robert Cochran, who's with the Lord now, my favorite elder of all times, greatest mentor I ever served under, served with uh, here at our church. Um used to talk about teaching an adult men's Sunday school class at a different church where all the men were over 60. And he used to quip that 
Um, it's really hard to move their whiskers to get the bottle in their mouth to feed them the Word of God, uh, saying that they only take milk from the Word of God. They aren't good with the mature things. Yeah, and I was going to ask you about that. Do you still find that to be um, what what Brother Cochran said? Um, you know what what he said was true back then. Do you still find that to be true today of our culture? I do. I I think it's even worse, and I think. When you look at the scriptures, and, and, if, and if it is worse, what are the ramifications of that? Well, the ramifications are that the church is very ineffective in our culture. Mm. Uh, we have a bunch of children, baby Christians, um, who should be grown up, running around in our culture. The Apostle Paul, when he's writing to Corinth, is actually frustrated that after only about two years of them having received the gospel, they're still immature. He's very frustrated by that, which means. The apostle expected the church members to have grown up by now, to be mature saints who could receive uh, greater teaching and actually serve greater. They, they should be eating spiritual meat now. They should not have to be pampered or babied. And I think in our culture, we are very much the opposite of that. We, we are pampering and babying Christians all the time. I think we don't grow them up fast enough. Um, and I'm concerned about the ways to do that. Um, I, have, I have some ideas, but we, we have to find ways to help church members mature sooner and better uh, in, in the community so, so that the community can see what a mature Christian looks like. That's what changes people. And in, and in finding ways to mature Christians, you kind of outlined three steps to get baby Christians growing. Um, the first being that every believer should be taught how to share their three to four sentence testimony and you, um, you know, even here at Northside and, and in other places in your ministry, you often refer to that as an elevator testimony. Right. And anybody who's been under your leadership and your teaching and been in your church long enough has, has kind of heard that term from you. Why, why do you feel like that's so critical to the growing up process in a Christian's life to be able to, to share their testimony just real quick and real, real simple with someone? Once you get saved, you have a testimony. You may not be great at witnessing, but you have a testimony of something that happened to you. And what happened is very powerful. Once you were a certain way, then you met Jesus and now you're a different way. And an elevator testimony just outlines adjectives that describe you before you got saved, how you got saved. I met Jesus. And then adjectives that describe you after you got saved. And the apostle Paul does it himself to Timothy in first Timothy one. He tells Timothy, I was a violent aggressor, uh, I did all these terrible things toward the church. Um, then I found the grace and mercy of Christ. Now I'm a minister of the gospel. And, mm-hmm. and so everybody had, everybody that's saved has that as a reality to themselves. Uh, once you get saved and you should tell people that you're meant to tell people your testimony. I think it's a way that actually helps Baby Christians begin maturing very quickly. Do you think in our in our current church culture right now, there's not enough of that happening? Yes, correct. Okay. I do. I yeah. do. I think I don't think we we talk nearly enough about what God's done for us. We don't. Mm-hmm. We, we don't highlight the grace of God that changed me from a fearful, depressed, angry person to a person who has joy, hope, and peace. And for your, for your average local church, you know, what, what are the ramifications of that? I mean, you know, if, if you, ha- if you have your, your just average body of believers, you know, wh- no matter what the size of the church is, 
um, where, you know, things like that are happening and people are getting saved, but they're not actually sharing it and they're not actually telling what, what are the ramifications upon the church? Well, well, it's the light of the gospel. And it, is, and it impacts the community too. Yes. The light of the gospel is very dim at that point. Right. Because the gospel's born out in a person's testimony. That's the whole point of the testimony. Mm-hmm. And it's why Paul never left telling his testimony. So, so the gospel is born out in that. And, and you're dimming the light of the gospel, which means the community can't see the greater glory of God. And for the second step in getting baby Christians to grow up, you kind of, you know, start to discuss the reality that every believer should be plugged into their local church and begin serving in some way. And they should kind of find a niche in the ministry where they can use their gifts. How does doing that help them to overcome spiritual immaturity? Well, one of our future podcasts, we'll probably talk about some pet peeves a 40-year-old minister, 40 years in ministry minister has, and one of them is sit, soak, and sour right. believers. Pe- people who get saved and think church is about coming to sit down in a pew, hear a message, shake hands, you know, say a nice word or two, and go home. That is not healthy church life, not healthy Christianity, uh, we're, we're built to serve. We were saved in order to serve. Uh, Paul tells, tells us in Ephesians chapter two that we were created unto good works, which the Lord prepared beforehand for us. Prepackaged good works exist for us as saints. And every Christian, God has a plan for me this week. He's the author of my life and he's authored into my life this week. He's written into my life a script that says, here's a good work you need to do. So I believe we're supposed to be helping and serving. And you can start as a new believer. You can take your baby Christians that are brand new and just start them by helping little things around the church. They can literally help wipe down the tables mm-hmm. where the children sat. They can, they can help clean before and after services. They can hand out bulletins. Uh, you don't have to ask them to teach or do anything heavy. But they can all be a part of serving, even if it's just helping put the cables and cords away from from the band or whatever's happening. Um, there's all kinds of places that a new believer can serve at church. That's good. Um, what are some reasons that, in in your you know opinion, that some Christians don't serve more actively in their local churches? Christians who have been saved. For a while, um, you know, especially Christians who, who know better <laughs> mm-hmm. and, and they should be serving more actively. Um, why do you think that that is, is the case and, and is so prevalent in our, in our modern church culture? You know, you have this, this whole, you know, phenomenon of, of a lot of Christians who, you know, they, they kind of have this mindset of, yeah, I'm saved, but, you know, I don't really, you know, have to serve. I don't really feel like I need to serve. Yeah, I, I think some of that's probably apathy and indifference, but I do think the church itself, the leadership of the church, especially the ministry tiers, senior pastor, lead pastor, and uh, secondary leaders, lay leaders even, they have to model it, and they also have to teach that we are built to serve. And sitting and just taking from a church is not spiritual healthy. It's immaturity. Hmm. That's the baby Christian moment right there. You're taking without giving back. And God intended for Christians to serve the local church. He actually gives us all spiritual gifts for the equipping of saints in the local church. How would you stir up um, and kind of motivate, kind of going along with what you're saying there, um, because because I've been you know with, with with you in ministry for a while and seen 
different people come and go and, and different people kind of phase in and out of the serving and, and all that kind of stuff. You know, what would be your uh, how would you motivate somebody to serve if you if you had somebody who was new in the faith or or a Christian who just wasn't serving that you believed needed to be serving? You know, what, what would be kind of a motivational process? Well, I always try to find something that they might be willing to do. I have two or three options available usually when I talk to them. So if they rain on the first one, I go, I don't want to do that. Right. I'm scared to do that or that's too hard. Then I have a second one and a third one that, you know, from maybe complex to simple, simple, but you always mm-hmm. have two or three options for them. And you're just testing the water with them when you're talking to them to see if they have a willingness. If they don't have a willingness, now there's a heart issue. Mm-hmm. And so you got to go back to, you know, when the Lord saved you, he didn't save you just to watch church happen. Spectators are not part of church life. That's not helping the church at all. If you're just a spectator at your church and listen to this podcast, I'm asking you to repent, make some changes and get over yourself mm. and get involved. Go ask the pastor, how can I help you? What can I do this week to help? And he may just say, look, somebody needs to trim the two bushes out front or the 40 bushes out front. <laughs> right. He may say, if you've got hedge trimmers, come on back up. He may just say, I just need somebody to sweep the foyer every every morning before Sunday church starts. Mm. So you, all you need is a broom. And yeah. anybody I know that's grown up can sweep. Even children <laughs> can do that. That's true. Um, I also believe we should get our children serving earlier. I think we take a a real backseat to churches overseas where children serve and go out and witness early mm. in their faith at, at before they're teenagers even. I don't think we do that. I think we kind of protect our children and, and we create a culture for them that church is where you come and get rather That's than That's a give. good point. That's real prevalent. I mean, even all the way through their teenage years. and It's a take, take, take co- culture. Yeah, it's all the way through the college ministries at some churches. It's a little bit of the worldliness, worldliness that's leaked into our church. We were talking about worldliness in our morning service today. Right. It's a little bit of the worldliness that's leaked in as it's a take, take, take yeah. culture. Yeah, and, and I'm I'm there at church to be entertained and to, to, get, to get something out of it. Mm-hmm. Um, your third step kind of refers to this notion of believers becoming mature missionaries, kind of considering themselves to be bivocational missionaries. Tell me a little bit about that. What does this look like at a practical level, in your opinion? Because a, a lot of, I mean, even even Christians who have been in their faith for for a while, they hear the term missionary, and that kind of freaks them out a little bit because they think of missionary as whoa, that's somebody like that goes overseas or, you know, you know, even if, I mean, they think, you know, that's somebody that's traveling across the U S spreading the gospel. That's not me. Right. Um, but you, you talk about this idea of training up young missionaries in the faith. What is that? Well, it's discipleship. Technically every Christian should think of themselves as a missionary to our culture I'm either a missionary in America or God's going to call me overseas. Mm -hmm. And I believe with all my heart, I preached this just less than a year ago here at our church, but I believe with all my heart that every every Christian that comes to Christ is supposed to be on mission and supposed to be building a missionary base for themselves. Just like missionaries overseas, we expect them to come home with slides and pictures and stories telling stories you know here's the snake we caught in our cabin and all that kind of stuff from the old days um and i know there's missionaries overseas that are doing technical work now and that's great they're all serving god full-time and they have given their life to christ but the christians in america are missionaries to america we're supposed to be missionaries to america so i believe every christian in my church i should be able to call them up to the pulpit and say as a missionary to 
Mobile, Alabama, Pritchard, Alabama, Sims, Alabama, Midtown, whatever we're calling, Sarah Land, the little towns around us. As a missionary to that area, give us your report. How, how are you doing this week? Mm. You know, how many people have you talked to about Jesus? Uh, this month, how, how uh, many small groups have you led? Did you have a Bible study in your home? Did you go to a Bible study in somebody else's home? And how did that go? It should sound like we're missionaries. Right. We should be missionaries like to active. our culture. Yeah. How, how do you see that kind of impacting the local communities around the church? If, if more Christians would actually get into that frame frame of mind, how do you believe that it would impact the local community? I think I think you'd see more people come to Christ. I think you'd see more p- people helped, people who are hurting in our community, uh, people who dealing with a ton of brokenness in their life. They've wrecked a, a marriage. They've got a broken family. Their family's hooked on some some sort of uh, opioids or whatever, and so their family's just a disaster. You'd see a lot more hope for them, a lot more help for them. You'd find ways to bring them into a culture. Um, that says there's hope and help and redemption in the middle of all this pain. If we were missionary, if we were effective missionaries, hmm. you know this because I've used this stat before, but for, if you draw a five-mile circle around my little church right here in Mobile, Alabama, a five-mile circle around us, there's oh, yeah. 200 churches. Here it comes. <laughs> 200 churches. <laughs> In this little circle. I can't tell you how many times I've heard that stat from... 200. <laughs> from the front row of the sanctuary. <laughs> 200 churches. If there's that many churches, if we were, if, if 10 of us were really on fire for mission work and gospel evangelism and, yep, and discipleship evangelism. and hope, bringing hope and encouragement to the community, if 10 of them we're really on fire. And this I, culture of, of this area would be different. There's an interesting way to even revert, I mean, to, to think about the reverse of the question I just asked. So you would have, how is it impacting the local community? But also, if if a handful of those churches were on fire and spreading the gospel, how, how do you think that would impact all of those churches or most of those churches, they would probably be more absolutely encouraged and more inspired absolutely. about the work that's going on. And instead of all, you know, just, you know, we don't yeah. know what to do. And Leonard we're, Raven, we're Leonard, depressed and discouraged. Mm-hmm. <laughs> You're right. Leonard Ravenhill used to say, uh, when there is a fire, nobody has to tell you where it is or what's happening. A big fire because you can smell it and you can see it. Right. And he said, when the church gets on fire, Nobody has to ask where it is and what's happening. You're just drawn to it That's and good. you know it's there. That's really good. But one of the things I would add into our conversation is that uh, people in churches don't get the missionary design into their life until they're discipled well. And we have to be pastors that bring men and women alongside of us and disciple them into that mindset. We teach them that they're called to put Christ first in their life, put Christ's kingdom first and Christ's values first into their life, and then build on that. That's what makes a healthier church. All right. Well, thanks, Dad, so much for your time. And we hope that you've all enjoyed listening to this episode of Rescuing Churches. You can learn more about us at 614ministries.org. And you can also follow us on Facebook and Twitter at 614Rebuild.